Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mother She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, I'm going to be talking with writer-director Peter Page. He, as I said, he's an actor, director, a screenwriter. He's best known for his portrayal of Emmett Honeycutt in the drama Queer as Folk, but he has written and directed and is a showrunner and so much. We had such an amazing conversation. I absolutely love him and I think you're going to too. But before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener funded and woman run. Visit patreon.com slash start me up to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get two bonus What's Up episodes per week. Kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com slash start me up. Now please enjoy my conversation with Peter Page. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hi, thanks so much, Kimberly. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you because uh, just for the audience, uh, for our listeners, for the listeners, uh, (laughs) we've been following each other on Twitter for a while. I won't get into the details, but you DM'd me the other day about something because I talked about how I so desperately want to get fun drunk and um, because I don't really drink. And uh, you you had a little bit of an idea of how I might be able to prevent a hangover. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But um... (laughs) (laughs) yes, it involved the very legal substance of marijuana. Yes, that's true. Okay, so you don't care. Okay, so basically, what did you tell me to do? You told me to take like a sativa edible, correct? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, I take sativa because I don't, because indica is too, too heavy for me. Like yeah. all weed makes me a little bit down. So, so indica makes me way down. Right. But yeah, if I have a couple drinks and I take a little edible before I go to sleep, I wake up fine. Like See, it's, it's a try. miracle. I don't understand it. I have reached a point <laughs> in my life where I was hung over from looking at alcohol, from like using rubbing alcohol on a wound. <laughs> I would get hung over. So, uh, no, it's been, it has been a, a, a miracle. And now I can enjoy a couple glasses of wine. That's that's awesome, and I'm totally going to take you up on that because I am planning on at some point in the near future having some alcohol. So <laughs> I don't really drink very much. So you know, uh, when I do, I think because it's not I'm I'm not even used to it anyway, so it hits me even harder. But I've always, even as a younger person, I'm going to be 55 in July. So even as a younger person in my 20s, I I hated that hangover feeling, and as I got older. It just got worse. I mean, not not that everybody likes it, but it, it certainly kept me from drinking more. So I guess it yeah, worked as a deterrent. I, I'm gonna be I'm 54 next week. In fact, happy birthday! And I was never I've never been somebody who could really hang with a drinker. Yeah, with, with a real drinker, which is interesting because my family is riddled with alcohol. <laughs> oh, well, it's so funny because my boyfriend is like we go over to his uh, his mom's house and there's always like it's not like a legitimate cocktail hour, but it's like cocktail hour and everyone's having cocktails and it's like I just I can't do it. Because I will Can't regret it. it. And, and and I love that first like hour because I'm a happy, fun drunk and I just feel euphoric and great. And then as soon as it turns, it's like three days of hell. So I don't want to, I don't, you know, one of these days I'll, yeah. I'll, I will go buy some sativa edibles and I will take your <laughs> advice and I hope that it works on me. Okay. So enough I'm just about- doing the Lord's work. <laughs> um, so, okay. Now I, in the intro, I let everyone know, I think you're most famous for Queer as Folk, um, but, mm-hmm. and you've been an actor, and you're a writer, and a director, and so I just want to know, you know, what has been your journey? First of all, let's just start with your acting. I know you're more of a writer-director now, but what uh, led you to acting in the first place? 
So I decided I wanted to be an actor when I was six. Wow. Um, did a play in the first grade. I, I played the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, which frankly is still good casting. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it just something clicked. It just was so fun to me. And my family took me out to dinner and were like, are you going to be an actor when you grow up? And I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> but the truth is, I, I didn't, the impulse, the impulse to want to do that was actually really a storyteller's impulse. Like if, if you came over for like a sleepover or a play date, I would make up a play. Hmm. I, you know, at se six or seven or eight, I would be like, okay, I'm going to say this and I'll go over here and you say this and you go over there and we'll perform it for my parents. And, um, and, but I didn't know that there was such a thing as a writer. I didn't know there was such a thing as a director. Hmm. Um, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this. Maybe not because you are, you're in the, you're in the class of, of sort of, shockingly beautiful people who, <laughs> uh, who who get a pass on this one thing, which is when you tell people you want to be an actor, when you tell people you want to work in the arts, all they do is try to talk you out of it. Right. Right. <laughs> and that just gave me um, an axe to grind. It just, I was just like, well, watch me. Yes. Watch me. And so I was so dialed in on that. I, I went to um, uh, Boston University. I studied in the, their conservatory, one of the, one of the better undergraduate theater programs in the country. And um, and set out, you know, determined to make my way in the business. Um, even in my exit interview from college, where I graduated first in my class, by the way, hmm. the head of the program and the head of the acting track sat me down. And they were like, you know, you're really a director, right? <laughs> and I, I was like, are you like, fuck you guys. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I just graduated with a degree in acting. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I, what I heard was was you're you're not attractive enough and you're too gay and you're not going to have a career that's what i heard right. that's not what they were saying right they were they were i think arguably making a very objective statement that in fact turned out to be quite true <laughs> but um but i was just like uh kim raver who's on gray's anatomy and has been working since the day we graduated school was in my class in acting school mm -hmm. and kim's a dear dear friend of mine but i was like kim raver will not be the only person from this class to succeed <laughs> i will by god i will find my way and so i hung in um i did a lot of low pay no pay theater i started working in regionals i came to la in 1997 started guest starring mostly on nbc sitcoms wow really close to a lot of jobs including jack on will and grace hmm. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and, and uh, you know, cried a lot of tears over the jobs I didn't get, all those <laughs> yeah. things. And then finally got Queer as Folk. Okay, and... wait, wait. I, I want to go back go for a second. Um, you said you came to L.A. Where were you before L.A.? Uh, from college, I went to New York for a few years, and then I went to Portland, Oregon for a few years, which, which sounds like a detour and probably was, but it was a detour where I kind of found my sea legs. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a kid who I was really good at school. I was really good at prescribed, um, you know, paths. Like if you told me what I had to do to get a good grade, to get a pat on the head, to get a gold star, I would do that. Mm -hmm. And I would do it as well as anyone could do it. <laughs> but the real world and certainly entertainment doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, well, tell me what to do and I'll succeed. And everyone was like, no, we couldn't be less interested in that. We're interested in the kid who said, fuck you to all the classes. Right. <laughs> We're interested in the kid. Right. Who has who has that attitude of like, I couldn't care less about this. Mm -hmm. That's the kid we're excited about. Um, <laughs> so um, but when I went to Portland, when you go when you leave New York or L.A. and you go to a secondary city, if you're talented, there's a real opportunity to make a name for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It's a smaller pond, mm -hmm. but 
I started working there immediately. Every artistic director in town was like, let me take you to lunch. What plays do you want to do? My God, where have you been? And so I was reminded like, oh, I actually have talent because New York had beat the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. New York, I, I left New York like embarrassed, ashamed, tail between my legs. I'm never going to have a career. Hmm. So, wow. um, so I went to, to Portland, you know, got, got my swagger back on, mm-hmm. um, was doing a kind of a terrible play at a tiny little theater when the man who would become my manager in L.A. saw me and said, you should be in L.A. Wow. And, uh, and so after a few months, I, I moved down and, and uh, turns out he was right. <laughs> wow. You know, it's funny because I kind of had the opposite situation. I was told... You should be a model. You should be an actress. It's all I heard, right? As I was coming up. Yes, like I 13... told you. See, you're, yeah. you're in the class of, <laughs> of beauties who people are like, let's exploit that. Well, and the funny thing was, is so, you know, I, I, I was like, when I started out at like 12, I was not a beauty. I was like such a geek, right? And then I blossomed and I, I swanned up and I decided, and I saw this uh, movie. I don't know if you remember it, but it was called Paper Dolls and it was, about uh, of course I remember okay. paper dolls. <laughs> well, I obsessed. I wanted to be that model that was discovered out of nowhere. So initially at 14 years old, I was like, I want to be a model, but then it, it did turn into being you know, I want to be an actress. Of course, both times, so like regular people are all about, yeah, you should totally be an actor. You should totally be a model. And then I get into the business and when I was pursuing an act or modeling, I was told, No, you're not you don't have the look. And that's kind of when heroin chic was just starting. And I, I was I so, remember it well, yeah. Yeah, I was not that. And then um, in the acting world, I mean, I'm six foot tall and I'm just much bigger than most people. And so I was not met with the, the same kind of enthusiasm with the industry people as I was just regular people. So I did work on Days of Our Lives for seven years and that was fun. But that was basically, I mean, I did a few things here and there and I, you know, outside of, of that um, you know, studying and stuff like that, but I didn't obviously never made it and I don't pursue it anymore. But yeah, I had the opposite experience of you. I think that's interesting. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I, mean, I yeah, think that people that is, make that assumptions. I mean, you yeah. did make it, you had a career that like, well, don't, yeah. don't, uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't let you frame it that way. Well, I, when I say make it, I mean like, could I pay my bills solely on acting jobs? No, I couldn't. So I, I, you know, but, I, but, yes, but, but I, here's the thing I want to say, and I want to say this to everybody who's listening, like, the industry is not set up to provide people financial stability. You're right. And, and so you, you made a living, you made, you made money as an actress. You had to, to claim that on your tax returns. Yes. There's no denying you're an actor. Right. Don't, don't, (laughs) you, you did succeed. You did something very few people managed to do. So please give yourself credit for that. I think it's super important. Thank you. I do. And sometimes I do dismiss it, but you're correct. And, and I was on the show for seven years, so uh, yeah, so that's that's, a big, that's no a small feet. Yeah, yeah, and it was fun. And I'm so. assuming since you're you're six feet tall, you don't have small feet either. So, no, I don't. You know, well <laughs> in fact, that was the first thing. Okay, I have to just tell you quickly. Uh, my father was in Vietnam when my mom was pregnant, and he was injured a few days before I was born. So he got to come home, and here I am. I'm born. And my mother, she grabbed my foot and thought it was my leg. And she's like, oh, my God, her feet are so big. So the first thing that she said to my father was, look at her feet. (laughs) They're huge. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, no, I don't have small feet. Um, 
Okay, so uh, I want to ask you, though, okay, when you got booked, and that's crazy. Like, let me ask you this, too. You say, I go to L.A., and I start booking shows. Oh, my God. How soon did it take you to start booking shows? Yeah, this is this is a really weird <laughs> story. <laughs> I had been beaten up so badly in New York. Truly, all of my classmates had great agents, and I just couldn't get arrested. <laughs> I got to L.A., and I booked the very first audition I went on. Oh, my God. It was I cried for four hours. Wow. That's a true story. That's insane. Because it was like, the universe was like, yeah. okay, now you're ready. Welcome. Right. And I just, the, just the assurance that like, there was a place for me in the business yeah. was something I needed. That validation, I needed it so badly um, that the, yeah, that I cried for four hours. Wow. Um, That's amazing. And that, from that, that, that was a guest spot on Suddenly Susan. I don't know if you remember that show. Yes. Um, oh my God. I, it was a, my scenes were with with Brooke Shields. Speaking of of, of pretty baby, Brooke Shields, yeah. Swoozy Kurtz, and Barbara Berry, and I had all the jokes. And it was <laughs> like it. It, it was a guest star role. It was a big guest star role, and it was it was the thing that that you know that high that like oh I belong here. Yeah, um, was you know kept me alive for the next three years until I booked the series. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, I desperately wanted to be on that show, but it just never happened. But um, wow, that's so amazing. And, you know, I was doing at the time, I was studying Meisner technique in Los Angeles, and we would have all the casting directors from the big shows come in. Um, mm -hmm. I did actually audition for Third Rock from the Sun, but I think I was I, initially, before it was even a show, well, b before it became a, a hit, I I interviewed to be Kristen Johnston's stand-in. And it's so funny right. because um, I didn't want that job. And so I, I did this yeah. to get my SAG card, long story. But anyway, so I the, I sent a tweet out to Kristen several years ago. And I'm like, hey, because it was called Life As We Know It. And I said, I, I auditioned to be your stand-in. And it was called, and she's like, oh, my God. And then she, like, followed me and she's been on the show. And it's like, it's just so funny because we're both the six-foot-tall six blonde women. But I didn't get the part on right. that show because I knew that I just knew I wouldn't and I didn't. So it had nothing to do with my acting. But, okay, back to you. So, okay, what was it like for you? You get this job on Queer as Folk and – all of a sudden now you're like a regular working actor. You've got a regular income. What's that like? Um, it was it was heaven. I mean, it was amazing. It was a dream come true. I'd worked so hard to get there. I'd made so many sacrifices. I mean, there were multiple years mm -hmm. where I made $15,000 a year. Yeah. And suddenly I was making that an episode. Uh you know, I paid up. I had I had thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt when I booked that show. I had cut up my credit wow. cards and consolidated my debt and all those things, you know. Mm -hmm. And and all of a sudden, and I paid it off in two episodes. Wow! I paid, off, <laughs> I paid off my credit. Like it was it was miraculous. Yeah. Um. And and the you know the sort of the realization of a lot of dreams. What was interesting is once I settled into that job, once I knew I knew how to do it and do it well. I was like, oh shit, everybody was right. I want to be writing and directing. <laughs> <laughs> like it was it was once I had it once I could check the box. Like I was on a hit TV show, you couldn't say I failed no matter how you framed it. Yeah. Once I had done that, I was like, oh, I need to be I want more agency yeah. over what I'm putting into the world. 
right? I loved the experience of queer. They treated me incredibly well. I love my castmates. Um, the executive producers took me very, very seriously. They listened to my notes. Hmm. They, you know, I was cut very well. Like it was just, they were, they, they put a lot of faith in me. Yeah. But even, even with that being the case, it wasn't, it wasn't saying all the specific and nuanced things that I wanted to say about queerness. Um, you know, and, and that it just really drove me to start to go, okay, now what, right. now what do I do? Wow. And how so. many years were you on that show? How many seasons? We did five seasons, Wow, That's five seasons, good. 84 episodes, I think. And then, okay. So I want to get to your other stuff, your writing and stuff in a second, but after you did that show, what was your career like? I mean, were you sitting around waiting for shit? Was, you know, were you getting call, calls off the hook? How was it going for you? No, I mean, I'm, I'm the tail end of the generation, I think, of, of gay actors who, when we came out, our careers really dried up. Interesting. Um, wow. the, the, the generation just below us, I think they had a, they've had a huge breakthroughs around that. You look at Neil, Patrick yeah. Harris, and, and um, you know, Zach Quinto, and, and Matt uh, Bomer, and there's a, there's a whole generation of guys who were, who've been able to come out and, and still keep, really keep working. Mm -hmm. I, after queer, I was faced with a lot of auditions for like the sassy assistant or the, you know, bitchy makeup artist or the, um, <laughs> you know, irreverent shoe salesman. And yeah. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah. This isn't, I did, I did the best possible version of this for five years. I can't, I just can't go on a sitcom and just be like, oh, I see you're a size 11. Let me see if I have anything <laughs> in the back. You know what I mean? Like, right. I just couldn't do it. So, so that really accelerated my focus on, on writing and directing. Mm -hmm. I wrote and directed a feature while I was on Queer. I directed a second feature kind of shortly after we finished. I got a writing partner. We started writing features and pilots. We sold the first pilot we ever wrote. Wow. And that led to that. That was really, you know, over a period of a couple years, I transitioned from where the majority of my income was acting to the majority of my income was was uh, from creating. That's just fantastic. I mean, that must make you feel amazing because, as you said, usually when somebody sets out to do something like that, specifically anything creative, you're you're talked out of it people don't think that you know people can really make yes. livings and or it's just for the special people or whatever well you sound pretty special because you just like book everything <laughs> so that's amazing no, but by the way <laughs> trust me i suffered a lot yeah there were a lot of no's along the way yeah. it just so happened that there are these couple benchmark ways right. places where it worked yeah and, and that's, that's wonderful that's, and by the yeah. way that's the difference between people who have careers that you know about and people who don't it's that yeah. There are so many talented people in New mm -hmm. York and L.A. Mm -hmm. who don't ever get the break. I know. Who don't ever get the chance. I have some wildly talented friends who came so close so many times mm -hmm. and just didn't ever get that one moment. Yeah. It, it's, um, it has nothing to do with your talent or your quality of, you know, uh, as a human being or your value as a human being. Yeah, it um, really doesn't. It's always, so I mean, it, it's a perfect example. Yeah. Like one of the first things that I ever did, and I think, I don't even remember if it was to get my side card or not, but I, I was asked to be a bit player on Mad About You. And so mm -hmm. I, this was the first time I was ever on television and I get to the set. And the funny thing is, is a girl from my um, 
eighth grade class was there too. And it was like, oh my God, that's so weird. She was working on the set that day. And um, <laughs> that was just so random and strange. But anyway, so I was supposed to be the bit player. And when I got there, I was told that I was downgraded to extra because the, I don't know, like the producer's niece or whatever it was mm -hmm. got the bit player part, which really wasn't a big deal because in the end I actually got more airtime than the bit part. But still, I mean, just to you know, what you're saying is there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. Sometimes it's like you no. can remind a casting director of their ex and they don't want to have anything to do with you. And it doesn't matter how. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think part of the reason my, you know, my career post queer slowed down was was you know gay male casting directors were not interested in in seeing me as anything other than very gay yeah and you know i used to say things i used to ask friends who were cast directors i used to say like bring me in for the da like yeah. i can i can navigate a shakespearean soliloquy i promise you i can do a closing <laughs> argument like nobody cares who he's sleeping with yeah like it doesn't you know what i mean like even if, if people smell that i'm gay like what does it matter? But they just wouldn't. Right. They just wouldn't. I just never got in those rooms. I had a manager who signed me a couple of years after Queer as Folk. And I walked into her office for the meeting and she was like, holy shit, you're not Emmett. She was like, you're, you were acting. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, well, this is going to be fun. This is going to be so easy. Like, I'm going to get you in rooms and people are going to freak out because you played this character for five years so believably that everybody thinks that's who you are. Yeah. And a year later, we went out for lunch, and she was like, Peter, I I had no idea how hard this was going to be. <sighs> she said, I get stonewalled at every turn. If it does not say gay in the breakdown, mm -hmm. I can't get you in. I can't get you in, and I don't know what to do. And that was one of those moments where I was like, I know what to do. Mm -hmm. I know the universe is pushing me. I, I've got other things to do and say. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit around and wait for that phone to ring you know, or, or beg, you know, hat in hand kind of, you know, again and again and again yeah. um, to play kind of caricatures of, of queer people that, that I don't believe in. Yeah. So, um, so I started, I started writing and directing and, 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 uh, you know, I've been very, very fortunate. Um, no, no doubt about it to, you know, to have one career in this business is, is good fortune to have four is <laughs> just beyond. No luck. kidding. So. Oh my God. Okay, so, so then t let's talk about ahead. that transition. So when you started writing and directing, what happened? What did you do? I know you said you sold some stuff, but like, how did your career proceed following that? Well, the city? thing, so I got this writing partner, Bradley Bradaweg, and, and one thing that we both knew was we were going to have to write. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people when they, when they have any currency in the business, and I did have some because mm -hmm. I'd been on a hit TV show, but they they feel entitled to something and i was like nobody is going to take me seriously as a writer until i show them i can write mm -hmm. so we wrote we met every day for a couple hours which by the way if you are bemoaning you know the your inability to do things if you're bemoaning that you've never had time to focus on x or y or z a little bit of time every day mm -hmm is it is astonishing what you can accomplish yeah so i just i just offered everyone who's like who can't you know who can't find the eight hours a day to write like joan didion does well no shit nobody has that and, <laughs> right. and, and you know that's why she's joan didion but like <laughs> if you want to write something and you set aside a half an hour every day yeah you'll be amazed at what you have at the end of a month right oh my god um, you're so right, right? yeah 
Wow. So, uh, so we started writing. We wrote a lot. And one, one sort of advantage we had is I was an actor. So mm-hmm. I know how to put on a show. So pitching, mm-hmm. which is such a huge part of, yes. of Hollywood, was re- came really naturally to me. I would put on a one-man show. Brad would barely pitch. Brad would set me <laughs> up, and then I would do a show, and I would laugh, and I would cry at all the right places, and I would take you on a real ride. So even if the show wasn't necessarily great, our passion for it was, mm-hmm. and I could get you excited about it. So we sold a lot of shows. Wow. We, we, yeah, and then and you know we sold them, we would write them, and then we didn't get to make a lot of pilots. We came really close a lot of times, just like my acting career. Mm-hmm. There were many seasons where, like, we had the last pilot that hadn't gotten the no yet, mm-hmm. and then we would get the no. We would be the last one. It would be down to us in one other show, and they would go, ah, we're going to make the other show. Oh, man. I have a – yeah, I know. It is what it is. <laughs> but I, I have sort of a theory about that, which is um, – this is going to sound so dorky and woo-woo, and just forgive me, Kimberly, <laughs> but um, uh, in my astrology chart, I have. I, I love nothing... dorky and woo woo. Okay, so I'm just gonna tell you, I love that stuff. Okay, go ahead. Great. In my astrology chart, there is nothing in my fame house. Nothing. I don't have a single planet. I don't have a single nothing in my in my house of fame. I have extraordinary uh, planetary alignment in my house of change the world. Interesting. And my theory is that the universe was always like these other pilots, the ones that almost went. Anybody could write those. Anybody could run those. Mm-hmm. You have to do the work that you have to do. You have to center marginalized voices. You have mm-hmm. to, to do shows that are at the intersection of entertaining and also social awareness. Yeah. And, and so we're just going to keep telling you no until you get the message. And that's what happened. Oh, my God. Um, we, we created the Fosters uh, in 2012, got the pilot order, went to series, um, made 104 episodes of that, um, which, you know, at a time that nobody makes 100 episodes of anything. Yeah. Um, and then we got to spin that off to Good Trouble, which is still on the air right now, and we'll hit 100 episodes this season. Congratulations. Um, and, uh, and then I left Good Trouble after a couple years, and uh, sort of just time for new worlds for me. And um, I ended up, now I'm over at uh, Station 19, and I'm uh, the new co-showrunner on Station 19. Wow, that's so amazing and it's so cool and I love it. And you know what? I'm not even surprised at all that you sold all those shows because you do have an energy that's just, I mean, you have a charisma. It's very clear. And I already, like, I already love you. <laughs> so God. you already sold oh, me. You're very, very, very sweet. Back at you. It's, it's a delight <laughs> getting to know you a little bit. Um, and that's why I love doing the show. Like I said, it's just so much fun because... I get the opportunity, I mean, selfishly, I get the opportunity to meet people like you. And and then I'll tell you, listening to you, it makes me feel not inspired to do something in particular, but just in a general sense inspired, you know, because we all have our dreams and, and our whatever we're working on. And sometimes we do feel like, oh, my God, nothing's going my way. And as far as politics are concerned, I always like to talk about having optimism and optimism doesn't mean that you always have you know like you always think everything's going to be perfect and great it's optimism to me is especially when things go you know against what you want you you keep up that optimism and say okay it didn't work for me this time but there's always tomorrow kind of deal and it sounds yeah. like you absolutely have that. Yeah, and I that, think it's so yeah, important. I, I think of that as sort of tenacity, which, yeah. by the way, is not something I 
was naturally given. It's because I was a kid who, who was good at a lot of things. I was good at school. I like, I couldn't play sports to save my life. So I just <laughs> refused to do it. Yeah. Um, but, but I learned over time, I learned through my time in New York city with everyone slamming doors in my face, you know, that like I could get up again, I could try yeah. again if it was something that I loved and believed in and really wanted. And, um, and that's, that has paid off big wow. time. Um, I also, I have to give a shout out to my friend group. Okay. My circle of friends are all kind of wildly successful in the business. Mm -hmm. And none of us knew a fucking soul when we got here. Like, it's not <laughs> like we, you know, it's not like we were, we're all Nepo babies or something, right. <laughs> but we kept each other alive and we kept each other in the game. Yeah. And we got jealous of each other, but still supported <laughs> each other. And, you know, one would poke a hole in a membrane and we'd all scramble through. And then, mm -hmm. then somebody else would poke a hole in the next membrane and we'd all scramble through and we'd pull each other up. And, you know, these are the friends who took me out to dinner for jobs I didn't get. Mm -hmm. Like they took me out to dinner to celebrate that I screen tested for a series and didn't get the job. Right. Because 10,000 guys had not screen tested for yes. that show. Yes. Wow. And... And it was that framing that allowed me to keep going, you know, yeah. um, right before I got Queer as Folk, I vividly remember calling one of my best friends and just going, I can't do it anymore. I had had five auditions for a series, five, oh, no, wow. five screen tests, not yeah. five auditions. I probably had eight auditions for it. I had had five screen tests. They had brought me back to network five <laughs> different times and I didn't get the job. Oh, man. And and I was just destroyed. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I can't do it anymore. And they were like, no, you can. This mm -hmm. is, you are, the reason you went in five times is because they loved you. Mm -hmm. You're too old for the part. That's all. That's it. Yeah. There's a part you're not too old for. Stop it. Stop, you know, and, <laughs> and so having those people in my life, by the way, Krista Vernoff, showrunner of Grey's Anatomy and Station 19. She just, just left those shows. But um, uh, Abraham Higginbotham was on Modern Family for over a decade as an executive producer. Um, Kim Raver, uh, you know, who I went to acting school with, mm -hmm. who's had a wildly successful career as an actor. Um, uh, Michael Medico is a very, very successful TV director. Like, we've all held each other, carried each other. Michaela Watkins, I don't know if you know Michaela. No, She's, I don't. Um, she currently is playing. Um, have you seen uh, "You Hurt My Feelings," the Julia Louis Dreyfus movie? Not yet, but I want to. Go see it. Go see it. Yeah, Michaela plays to. her sister okay. and is just brilliant in it. I just saw it yesterday, and it was so so wonderful. Like those are my people, mm -hmm. and and the reason we all found a place. I really believe this is because we all held space for each other, mm -hmm. celebrated the wins celebrated the losses as best we could, held each other when we cried, gave each other space, but it, it it's just, that was key. Yeah. That was key as much as anything else. Wow, that's, actually, that's so beautiful. And, and that was one of the things that led me into acting and just creative, you know, ventures in general, because I remember as a kid, like if I would go to a play or something and I would see the cast afterward and, and the camaraderie that they had and that connection that they had, it, it was so, oh my God, I wanted to experience that more so than acting. It was, it was that, you know, trust and respect and love between the actors. I mean, you're talking about friends, but still it's the creative people and they understand. And, you know, I mean, like when I was in my acting studio, it was funny because there were, um, let's say, I, in any given time, maybe 15 or 16 people in my acting class. And so, you know, sometimes people would not get along or 
maybe one person didn't like the other person, but we were told to leave our shit at the door. And I really took that seriously. And so if I didn't like someone in my personal life, it didn't matter. I did everything I could to help them. Whatever they needed to do, I helped. And, and, and I got that back from everybody. And it's, I, it's like, to me, that's one of the most beautiful things about the creative uh, life is that I think because people, the creative people understand how difficult it can be and how soul crushing it can feel. And then that, that so many people out in the world are not cheering for us until we actually get successful. So the, right. the respect and the comfort that we get from other creative people is so gigantic and important. And I, I really, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to get into acting in the first place, just because of that. And I, you know, yeah. Oh, I mean, there is a running theme through all of my work of found slash chosen family. Yeah. Right. It, it was the, it's what Queer as Folk was about. It's what the Fosters was about. It's what Good Trouble is about. It's what Station 19 is about, frankly, which I did not create, but, um, but it's, it, but that I was a lonely child, right? Yeah. I was, I was, I have a half sister, but she was born much, much, much later. My, um, the first, you know, my, my formative years, I was often alone hmm. and that craving that sense of community, um, you know, of being seen, of being valued, um, has driven everything I've ever done. Okay. We have to take a quick break, but we will be back after this message. Hey, this is Kimberly. If you're not already my patron, just visit patreon.com slash start me up. You can take a look at all the tiers and decide how you want to support the show. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with a zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available reclining lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Okay, why don't we um, switch over to politics? But um, since (laughs) since you're, I looked at your, you know, I look at your feed and stuff like that. Obviously, you're political. So um, you're not afraid to be political, which I appreciate. You know, I really appreciate people in the entertainment industry just being able, I, I hate, I hate when people say, you know, oh, shut up. You're, you're just a washed up actor or whatever it is that they say. And it's like, no, you're a voter and you can talk just like anyone else. Maybe your platform might be a little bigger than other people's, but you have the right to talk about what you want. And I think in this political climate, uh, it's, it's really key Ab- that people speak up. Absolutely. I'm with you. I like, <laughs> like, you know, they never, they never say that to the people they agree with. They only say it to people they disagree with. So yeah. it's like, it's like, no, I, I don't buy this for a second. You just don't like it that, exactly. that someone's calling you out on your bullshit. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a queer man. Like I, I have been in the movement since the, the eighties. Um, you know, real, I mean, really since the nineties, but like I marched on Washington in 1993. Wow. Um, yeah, I had a tattoo, I had a temporary tattoo on my arm that said fag and, uh, and I got sunburned. And so there was like a negative imprint of the word fag on my arm from like April to the following February. That's hilarious. Oh my God. But but it was a great, it was kind of a great thing because it was like just this, this semi-permanent reminder of like, I have something I carry with me and I need to make this world safe, not just for me, but for other people like mm-hmm. me and other people behind me on this path. 
Wow. And um, and that's another of the of the sort of driving things of my work, frankly. But I also like I was on the board of the LA LGBT Center for over a decade, wow. um, uh, which is the largest you know LGBT organization in the world. Hmm. Um, you know, bar none. There's not even one close. Um, and uh, and so you know we all find our ways to give back. But but for me, you know, the personal is political. The political is personal, mm-hmm. and entertainment services both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I live and, and my values are driven by, by sort of, um, being at the nexus of those, of those things. You know, you posted something just on a side note, and I think I'm, is his name Howard Schultz? Is that the guy who was running Howard Schultz? Am I getting the name wrong? He ran against Karen Bass and he lost. And you, you mentioned. Say that, say that again. You cut out for a second. He, he ran the, against The two. guy who ran against Karen Bass and lost in, in. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, no. Rick Caruso. Rick Caruso. Okay. Uh, yeah. Howard Schultz was, I think, the Starbucks guy. Okay, so Rick Caruso yeah, is the is the president of Starbucks. Yes. Yes, um, he said he was going to do all this stuff to help. And this is what you tweet. I'm not. This is not verbatim, but basically the gist is, you know, he said he was going to do all this stuff to help the homeless. Where is he now? And yeah, hello. We spent 15 million dollars yeah. running for mayor to help the homeless to right. resolve the homeless situation, and hasn't spent a cent a spent a cent since. He wasn't running for that. He was running to he was running to approve his own fucking development projects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, it, it's just <laughs> it, you know he was he's he was anti-choice. He yeah. like you know until until he got into the mayor's race. Yeah, it just is like go away, you you Republican <laughs> in in sheep's clothing. Exactly. Like, come on. And the thing that you scared know. me was I had a couple of liberal friends in Los Angeles who were like, I don't know, I'm thinking about him because this homeless thing is pretty bad. And it's like, all he's going to do is arrest them. You know, it's, yes, he's going to criminalize it. And so... 100%. I mean, I and get... That's, and by the way, I have I have liberal friends who did vote, who voted for him. Wow. That's I disappointing. Had, I had some fights. Yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, do you understand that he's actually anti-choice? And I mean, right. you can say, oh, it's never going to happen in California, but you've set up too many of the wrong dominoes, and right. as we've all seen, yeah, right? As we've all seen, too many, you've won too many dominoes, mm-hmm. I- you know, in a row, and suddenly you've got Donald Trump as president. Exactly. So don't, don't take a chance with your daughter's fucking health care. Yeah, totally. Oh my God, it's so you true. Know? And I, that's, I, I felt the same way and I was I I tried not to be you know because politics you have to be careful I didn't necessarily fight with these people but I'm like you do realize that that's all he's going to do and you know I said and if you can sleep with you know go to sleep and feel okay with that but I wouldn't be able to because it's like yeah you don't want these people um, littering or, or posing any kind of threat to your home or whatever it is you know that's making everybody so uncomfortable but the reason that they're there is because basically in Los Angeles it's so expensive and and you could work three jobs and still not even be able to afford a decent place to live and I mean decent absolutely that's by the way we should talk about this that's yeah. what the writer strike that's what the writer strike is about yes let's People talk about who that finally yeah. achieved their dream careers right they're writing on hollywood tv shows who are working second and third jobs who are going to to you know marshalls to buy an outfit for their for the emmys mm-hmm. because they can't afford anything else yeah it, yeah it is you know los angeles is a is is not it's not the most expensive city in america but it is a very expensive city to live in and certainly housing has become a a real you know challenge here yeah. my first apartment in los angeles was less than 400 dollars a month mm-hmm. it was a tiny little studio but it was it was enough for me to have a base mm-hmm. to be safe and to not have to work a shit ton all the time and be able to pursue my dreams yeah 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's just not true anymore. Mm -mm. That same apartment is $1,200, $1,500 now. And where, where is that place? Where did, where did you live? That was in Hollywood. Wow. It was, yeah. on, it was sort of the, yeah, the, it was, it was, uh, right off of, uh, it was right off of La Brea. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I miss but, LA. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but, 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 um, <laughs> but yes, I, I, I'm clearly very politically engaged. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a good old lefty, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the definition of, of liberal, uh, which they, you know, they try to use against us all the time. And I'm yes. like, yeah, you're welcome for your weekend. Go fuck yourself. I know. really. Um, <laughs> and so, our, you know, okay. So let me ask you this. Um, well, I have two questions for you, actually. Um, the first question is you define yourself as queer. So could, what does queer mean to you? Because when I hear that, I'm not I, sure what to think. So, uh, I, do, I mean, I, I used to call myself gay, right? And I, it, it was it was the term for sort of my generation. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> Queer as Folk came along. Right. And, <laughs> and what participated in reframing that word, that slur, right, that mm -hmm. had been used against so many of us. Um, what I... What I like about queer is, A, I find it to be a more inclusive term. Mm -hmm. Gay feels like it applies pretty specifically to right. uh, gay men and potentially lesbians who choose to identify that way. Right. But, uh, you know, gay women. Uh, but, um, but queer makes room for a lot more people. Okay with whom I want to be allied, with whom I want to stand. Yeah. You know what I mean? I am, yeah. I, there's nothing I, I find more outraging than the fucking LGB without the T people. Like, right. go, yes. go yes. choke to death on a bag of dicks. <laughs> I can't, you, that you would take the, the work of your four queers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, and use it to, throw other people in you know in into the cold yeah i can't I, i'm i'm repulsed by those people wow. repulsed you don't have to understand people's transness yeah in order to give them space to be who the fuck they are mm -hmm. because trust me anyone you're allying with in that journey anyone anytime you're allying with a transphobe they're coming for you next yes 100 percent. absolutely 100 percent. yeah yeah, I mean, and, and it's and, like, and what different? Right God, I just don't get. So, um, so that's why I use the term queer. It is a conscious uh, thought mm -hmm. to to stand up as an ally to more people. Wow, that's good to know. And then, okay, oh, now I forgot what was my other question. Um, see, now I can't remember it. But I'll. It's I'll, all right. That's okay. I'll get back to it in a second. Okay. Well, I do want to ask you this. How about this? As a queer man um, living in this mm -hmm. country with the Republican Party behaving the way they're behaving. How are you feeling as far as a your own personal safety and b just what you know like what will come next for us as a country? Look, I, I don't know what's going to come next for us as a country. I hope these are the death rattles mm -hmm. of the white supremacist patriarchy. Yeah, I hope that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, me too. But but I but I but I can't say for sure. Mm -hmm. Um. I, um, I look, I feel, I mean, I live in Los Angeles, California, right? I'm safe. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I have means and all those things, but I will tell you, I have gone through periods where I felt incredibly stressed about whether if, if Trump had won a second term, yeah. I, I, I was very seriously looking at buying property in other countries. Like yeah. I was, I was ready to pick up and move. Mm-hmm. 
um, because I because I didn't think it was safe. California, by the way, I truly believe will be the last will be yeah. the last state to fall in a situation like that. I yeah. think I think there's a real chance California would secede before right. before falling under a fascist regime. Right. But but you never know. I know that's a yeah. really complicated challenging question that's that's you know it's far easier to say we should succeed than than to actually do it exactly yeah um uh i you know the vast majority of people that the the heartbreaking part of all this is the vast majority of people in this country are good kind sane people mm -hmm. even some of the people who voted for trump yeah are good kind sane people who what i try to remember is they've been fed a diet of facts and I using I'm using air quotes even though you can't see me <laughs> that are different from ours yeah and you know there's there's I'm sure you remember this from acting class but but one of my favorite things I learned in acting school was anyone will do anything given the right set of circumstances yes and what fascists understand and what Fox News understands is 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 that is if we give them the right circumstances, they will vote against their own self-interests to keep us wealthy and keep us in power. Yeah. And so I, you know, I think same-sex marriage is a really great um, it's a great example of the country moving very quickly to the left, and it happened because of a multitude of factors, entertainment and media, which I think is hugely important, what yes. people are watching you know, on their TV screens. It, it, for better or for worse, we collectively as Americans have chosen television as the great truth, mm -hmm. <laughs> even though we know it's fiction. Mm -hmm. we, we really believe that what we see is what the world is, which is why it's so you know, stultifying and, and awful when you don't see yourself represented there at all. Yeah. But when we model for people, when we show them um, their own um, their own uh, frailties, their own shortcomings, their own biases, right? And then we and we help lead those characters through through those journeys. We we affect people, you know. I, I really believe Will and Grace and Queerest Folk yes. and Ellen and Rosie that 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 those things shifted that conversation, coupled with. Queer organizations started going door to door mm -hmm. to talk to people about same-sex marriage. Wow. And what they found again and again was in a one-person, one-on-one conversation where people didn't get heated, where there wasn't judgment, where people would say, why is it, why do you think that, that gay people don't deserve to get married? They could, they could undo that knot for people mm -hmm. very simply and very easily and leave them with something to think about and suddenly in a few short years, and I mean a few short years, that, that civil rights movement was the most expeditious of all time. In a few short years, we went from Gavin Newsom's doing something illegal in San Francisco <laughs> to the Supreme Court making same-sex marriage the law of the land. Yeah. <laughs> now, do I think there's a chance that could be undone? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think Lawrence v. Texas may very well be overturned wow. um, because it was decided on the same principles as Daw as um, as Roe v. Wade, and uh, and I think there's some states who are who are just chomping at the bit to make consensual same-sex mm -hmm. activity illegal. Um, uh, and this court, you never know. You know what I mean? They yeah. they did an amazing decision upholding you know right. in indigenous and, and native sovereignty today. Yeah. But like 
how how on earth could we depend on that after the fact that they they don't think women deserve the rights to control their own bodies yeah um uh but i but so i really believe that most of this country is good most people want people to to be able to live their own lives and that we just have to make efforts to reach those people um do you follow um is her name i think her name is jess piper um um, do you follow her, uh, Kimberly? You really I don't should. think so. Just Piper. I'm going to go look right now, but I don't think so. Let, let me see if that. Let me see if I'm pretty sure that that's who I'm thinking of. Yes, it is Just Piper. Her she, her Twitter is at Piper for Missouri, and she's a dirt road. Oh Democrat, yes, okay. Yes, she describes herself, and I love what she is doing so much because she is. She is in the trenches with the people in Missouri who are suffering under, uh, you know, a, um, a supermajority, a Republican supermajority in that state who, you know, their infrastructure is crumbling. Their, their roads are garbage. They're they're, you know, instituting all these policies against women and girls and, and trans people. And she's going door to door and going, is this really what you believe? Is this really what you want? Is this really the state you live in? And and again and again, she's finding that no, that isn't what they want. Yeah. But it's what they've been told they want, or it's what they've been told to be afraid of, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. That that is driving these these decisions, these these votes against their own self interests. And so I really believe that a combination of kind of a meta conversation and really micro conversations. Yeah can shift things very, very quickly in powerful ways. Wow. And, and you're right. I mean, it's funny because when you mentioned about your astrology chart and th there's no fame, but what did you say that it's so much to change the world? Yeah, the, 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 the change the world house, the, the yes. house about like, is that my, that's full for me. That is, that's got all sorts of <laughs> I'm so, I've alignment. never had my chart done and I, and now I want to oh. know. Because um, Kimberly, you have to get your chart done. <laughs> you know, if, I've I mean, never look, done it. Even if it's utter, utter, utter garbage. Yeah. It's a fun tool of that's, that. Of course. Definitely. And that's the way I always look at it. Like, you know, I remain open to everything. But you saying that it's interesting to me because obviously I'm not famous um, and I was pursuing acting, too. But I was brought into this whole politics. That, I mean, didn't start out going, "Hey, I'm gonna go get into politics." It just, I just kind of fell into it. And I've, you know, s some of the things. Actually, here's an interesting little side note. My mom and I got this idea in 2004. I was sitting in the garage with my mom, and we were smoking because we were stupid. But we've both since quit. And um, I said <laughs> to her, "You know, wouldn't it be it'd be cool to watch a t uh, watch a movie or a documentary about how people lost their virginity?" And at the time, she she's a writer, and she said, "You know, well, actually, I think a documentary or a book would be better because with a documentary, you might have people not really wanting to give some of these details. But if they're anonymous in a book." So that just led to us collaborating on a book that we did together called The Virgin Diaries. And um, it, it's like th that book was literally just stories of people's first times. And it was not about the sex. It was, it was more about the emotional state and everything. So I put right. it out, you know, That's amazing. yeah, it was really fun. It was awesome. And I was getting people on Craigslist and I would do like a volunteer thing and say, you know, volunteer story. And so um, anyway, so that led like, you know, time goes by and I get an email from this girl or it was like a Facebook email. And I guess she had 
in somebody in her family, I think her aunt or something like that, was a really horrible, abusive person, and she wound up becoming a prostitute at a very young age. And I think her mm. aunt, aunt was like kind of working as the woman who would get her, you know, whoever she was sleeping with. It was like her pimp. And um, so she messaged me and she said, you know, I read your book and it completely changed my life because I, I had been pushed into prostitution at such an early age. I didn't realize that sex could be different. And, and reading your book opened my eyes. And basically it got her out of prostitution and away from that aunt. So it's like, hmm. well, you know, maybe there, I mean, I, and then I wrote a book, I wrote a book about the imports of voting, which of course nobody bought, but that's fine. And then I, I wrote a book about a teen having an abortion. And so I feel like, hmm. you know, while I don't know what's in my chart, I do kind of have that feeling of like, not that I'm going to necessarily change the world, but maybe a few people along the way <laughs> can. But that benefit. is changing the world. Yeah. I'll, that I'll, is changing the yeah. world. And, and, and you can't, again, I, 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 I beg you to own it. <laughs> yes. I beg you to own it. You changed her world. Yes, I did. And that really and, made me feel so good because it was like, wow, I, you know, I mean, I can't imagine what her life was like. She shared some of the details with me and it sounded horrible. So now she has this whole new life. And, and on top of it, because she was following me on Facebook and I was, a, you know, like an activist and everything. I don't remember. I think it was 2018. She messaged me. She's like, this is the first time in my life that I am fully prepared to vote. I know every thing, you know, whether it was the candidate or uh, whatever was going up on, on the ballot. She studied it, knew how she was going to vote. And that made me feel great because I, I just feel like, well, I always felt as a young person, you know, when I would see people talking about certain subjects or whatever that seemed taboo. I was right there and I wanted to know more. And so that's why I wanted to write a book about first time sex and teen abortion. Cause it's like, Ooh, taboo. And it's like, no, it's not it's right. Just, it's just us. And, and people can, you know, stop making it such a big fucking deal. People have sex. Yeah. It's not a big fucking deal. And, um, you know, so anyway, it yeah. just, I just, I just totally get that. And one of the, I am going to have to have my stupid uh, thing, <laughs> my chart done one of these days because I used to go to psychics all the time. I don't do that anymore, but I, I I'm totally open to, you know, all of what we can't see. And I as I said, to, yeah. it's just an interesting, fun tool for self-reflection. Nothing is. else. You, you'll go, <laughs> oh yeah, that does feel like me. Or, oh, I do see evidence of that in my right. life. Or, yeah. oh wow. What if I, what if I reframed, like, for example, I always wanted to be famous, right? Yeah. Um, and I achieved a level of fame. Like I was, yeah. there was a moment there where I was pretty famous. <laughs> um, but it, it, uh, it was afterwards as it was sort of evaporating and I was making my peace with that, that kind of fame, that I was able to reframe it and go, okay, so I can't think about the fame. The fame is the byproduct. And yeah. by the way, it was the byproduct from Queer as Folk. I got Queer as Folk because I was ready to center my queerness yeah. in my work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. Like that, that's why it happened. It, there's a reason I didn't get the show right before that, that by the way, didn't even go to series. I got that show because I was ready to use, to use TV, to use the character, to use the platform, um, to contribute to the conversation that would, that would help change the world. Yeah. That's why it happened. Wow. And so I always try to remember that, like, like I said, when you, when you get your chart time, you'll see framings that are available to you, which is like, Oh, I always think of it as this, but if I think of it as this, right. I'm going to have a much easier time. So hmm. I, so I, I highly recommend. Okay. 
I will do that. All right, so this is the last thing we're going to do, and it's the uh, Bernard, Bernard, Bernard. I, say, I always want to say it like he said, like James Lipton said it, and I get I get stuck, so I have to stop. <laughs> Bernard Pivot. Bernard Pivot. Okay. Anyway, so that's that questionnaire, and um, I, I'm changing a little bit at the beginning, and I'm just going to... I'm adding the word non-curse word <laughs> because everybody tells me a curse word first. So uh, I'll explain that later. But either way, let's just get started. And the whole deal is I'm going to ask you this question and then you just off the top of your head, you give me the answer. There's 10 questions that should go pretty quick. So what, you is, your, what is your non-favorite curse word? My, or, my favorite non-curse I mean, wait, word? Wait, what is your favorite oh, non-curse word? I just said that wrong. Yeah. What is your favorite non-curse word? Mm. Uh, oh God, there's so many good words out there. Uh, detritus. What does that mean? It means the stuff left behind. <laughs> and what is it? Say it again. Detritus. D-E-T-R-I-T-U-S. You've probably read it and you yeah. might've thought it was pronounced detritus, which is what I thought it was pronounced for a very long time. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's pronounced detritus and it's like, for example, one might, one might, uh, have the detritus of a suburban life in one's garage gotcha okay uh, yeah i've never heard of that okay and what is your least favorite non-curse word um uh oh god again <laughs> there's so oh whatever <laughs> oh no i say that all the time okay um what turns you on creatively spiritually or emotionally passion all of the above what turns you off um D uh, cynicism, self-defeatism. Yes. What is your favorite curse word? All right. This is a rough, like, I'm, I mean, I use fuck all the time, but you can say fucking church basically now. <laughs> I, I, I have a, I, there's one word. I don't use it very often because I think it, it can be taken very much the wrong way. Um, and it does, but it does still have real power. And I think it's, it is worth noting its power. And that word is cunt. Okay. And what sound or noise do you love? Um, uh, what sound or noise do I love? Uh, you, um, uh, the uh, running water of a hot shower. Mm. What sound or noise do you hate? Chewing. <laughs> What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, I, there's a lot of that. <laughs> uh, I, I had a little side hustle as a designer for a while, an <laughs> interior designer. So that was, that's certainly one that, that could have presented itself. But, but the, the, the surprising one is I was really, really good at physics <laughs> as a kid. Wow. And wow. there is another universe in which I am a physicist. <laughs> that's so cool. Okay. So uh, what profession would you, not like to do law enforcement <laughs> and last question if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates um bitch you did that <laughs> that would be awesome i swear to god i hope that's what you hear <laughs> say that again i said i swear to god i hope that's what you hear <laughs> oh thank you so much Kimberly. because I you did that um, it was just so much fun talking to you. I absolutely had a, a great time. You're so interesting. So thank you for coming on the show. And uh, absolutely my delight. Thanks for having me. <laughs> keep up your good work. Keep thank amplifying. You. you know, we both we just have to keep amplifying. Yes. 
as many of the good voices as we can. Absolutely. And so before I let you go, please tell everybody where to find you. I am basically at the Peter Page, P-A-I-G-E, at the Peter Page on Twitter and on Instagram and Spoutable. And Spoutable too. And I've got, um, I do have your Twitter and Spoutable on my Patreon so everybody can get it there. And then I'm author Kimberly on Twitter, Kimberly Johnson, L-E-Y, on Spoutable and find my books on Amazon. Again, Peter, thank you so much. It was just completely awesome talking to you. It was such a delight. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Be well. You too. Bye-bye.